0: It's Ethan Vaughn here, flying solo to bring you another episode of Hear the Spirit, presented by Noel Game Day. We're gonna do a little bit of an instant reaction podcast after yet another Florida State loss, this time in pretty disastrous, uh, in a pretty disastrous manner to Boston College, thirty-five to three, in Chestnut Hill. Just like to remind you that this podcast is available on Apple iTunes, Google Play, as well as SoundCloud. And we really appreciate uh, some five star ratings if you enjoy this podcast. Without further ado, kind of get into this this breakdown of Boston College. That isn't really going to be centered on the game a whole lot. Uh, I don't know if anybody really wants to relive it. We pretty much know what happened. Um, it, it was what it 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 was what it was. Um, just to talk about the game for a second Jimbo Fisher's offense was absolutely atrocious in this game Boston College came into this game worse than 110th in rush defense on the year and they were losing they were missing their best player and best defensive lineman in Harold Landry who sat out the game and yet Cam Akers was able to put up 42 yards on 18 rushes, good for an average of 2.3 yards per carry. That's just just unacceptable. Uh, It it, it comes down to the offensive line didn't play well last night. There was no flow on offense. Blackman had by far, to me, his worst game of the year. And it just kind of all combined to an absolutely horrendous offensive showing. I continue to question Jimbo, Jimbo's play call. And, and uh, honestly, it's one of those games where, where the, like the the 2013 Clemson game where Florida State won 56-14. to When Dabo Sweeney said we win that game five times out of ten, people thought he was crazy. Now, I don't know if they win that game five times out of ten, if you start it all over and run it. But they win that game probably three times out of ten. That was a really, really good Clemson team and the way things kind of happened and snowballed at the beginning of that game with with the the turnovers that they had the the scoop and score just the, just those kind of things that that kind of they snowball and that that game was not an accurate representation of the talent level of those two teams it, it, it's just the momentum was gained by Florida State because of some mistakes and and credit to to bud elliott for this he always talks about how turnovers are luck so so when you see some turnovers like that that really lead to a team jumping out to a two touchdown three touchdown lead early in a game and end up blowing out a team a lot of it might just be luck that you've lucked your way into kind of a blowout where the other team looks up at the scoreboard sees themselves down by 21 and gives up and and that's what happened. Florida State's defense pretty much gave up. They they weren't even they weren't even super there in the beginning. I mean Boston College scored on them pretty easy in the first quarter and and again there was some miscommunication on the back end. Receivers open actually Boston College missed a couple wide open receivers for big plays in the first quarter uh it's it's bad uh the the players aren't playing their assignments it's just it's just rough there there's there's problems with the coaching there's problems with the personnel there's problems with effort and attitude it's it's just there's problems in every single facet of the game and kind of taking a step back and thinking about that it's got to be the culture within the program and I think if you really look back and think, you know, where did things start going wrong, it's pretty easy to figure out where. And it's in 2014. So you, Jim O'Fisher and his staff are, are coming off the national championship season. And Pruitt leaves, so you lose a defensive coordinator who really kind of... Uh, he, he really just kind of was what Florida, tipped Florida State over the edge... Into that national championship contender that combined with Jameis Winston, of course, but also that defense, the way they played that year was was a little bit more. Although Stoops had, had some really good defenses, arguably more, I do more stout defenses under Stoops where they gave up fewer yards than than Pruitts did, but Pruitt the amount of turnovers that Pruitts defense forced that that year in twenty thirteen. And just the fact that, that they, they kept teams from scoring um, as well as, as Stoops has had was kind of a, what, what tipped Florida State over the top on that side of the ball. And so you lose a guy like that, and, and it's, a, it's a big deal. And people kind of, I, I guess as a fan base, we tried to distance, not distance ourselves, but kind of stay in denial about how big of a loss that was. And I think that's because we had confidence at that point in time on Jimbo making a really good hire to replace him. Well, Jimbo promoted Charles Kelly from within, and I feel safe and very comfortable saying that was not a good hire. Jimbo made a bad hire. And so moving on into 2014, Charles Kelly's first year as defensive coordinator, you had guys still on the roster like P.J. Williams and Ronald Darby. Those guys coming off that national championship season Loafed in 2014 quite a bit. And I I can't tell you exactly why it was tolerated. But under the new defensive coordinator, under Jimbo, that was tolerated. And when you have guys in your program who the younger players in your program see and look up to these guys who have just won a national championship as starters and they see them loafing and getting away with it on a consistent basis, that kind of grows in, and that right there is the start of your your culture problems. That right there, you can't let anybody get away with anything, no matter that you're coming off a national championship, because ultimately those guys will eventually leave, and you'll end up having freshmen and sophomores who just believe that's something that's tolerated within the program, and, and then it becomes, it eventually spreads, and it becomes kind of a disease that takes over the whole program. And I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, obviously you're going to have some guys who still, you know, just because of the nature of their personalities, still bring it on a consistent basis. But I, I, could, I couldn't tell you with a straight face that I think that over 50% of Florida State's starters or or contributors bring it on a consistent basis. I I, I just don't think that's a a statement that can honestly be made right now. And I think it it grew out of that 2014 season. And and the thing is, is that that was allowed to fester because you had a guy named Jameis Winston and another guy named Dalvin Cook, who are all-time greats within your program, and they saved Florida State in 2014. That season honestly they should have lost a couple games at the very I mean they should have lost look like Notre Dame probably because they they got bailed out on that last second offensive pass interference call on the rub route Louisville they could have lost very easily that year too they they were losing I don't know what probably 21 points I'm going to go back and I mean there was there was just several games at least two if not more games that they should have lost during the regular season that year that would have kept them from reaching the college football playoff. And that was something that I think, had had Florida State lost a couple games, looking back at it now, it might have honestly been a better thing for the program to kind of wake the program up and keep that complacency from growing. Let's see. Yeah, and then barely beat Miami. That was the other one, and and you beat Boston College by three points with Jameis Winston as your quarterback, and that was the closest game they played against Florida in a while too, at twenty four nineteen. And then another one again against Georgia Tech, 37-35 in the ACC championship game. So all, all of those places, there were so many stumbling blocks. Florida State could have probably lost. Were you know lost? It, it was feasible that they would have lost possibly four, three, four games, you know, in, in that season. And and had they lost a couple of them, and and eliminated themselves from college football playoff contention, there would have been more pressure on on and, and more pressure on Jimbo, I, I guess, because it's pretty hard to look at a team that has Jameis Winston as its quarterback and not make the college football playoff, and, and so. Even though Florida State ended up getting blown out in the in the, in the Rose Bowl, they just kind of it was kind of dismissed because turnovers, fluke performance. Well, the actuality was is that the writing was on the wall for that whole season. The way the defense had played, the defense gave up forty one points to NC State that year. I mean, it was just the, the writing was on the wall, and, and I think honestly the writing was on the wall about Kelly then too. Um, I, I realized he had some players loafing and and. and just some replacing some all time greats within the program that season on defense. But but with the level of athletes that Florida State has, it it, there was no reason that you should have been giving up 41 points to NC State. And I think that's why there was some heat on him even then. And I I think some people did see the writing on the wall. And then you rolled into twenty fifteen and twenty fifteen was the legit rebuilding year because that's the year you lose your Heisman winning quarterback. And, you know, that's the year that it kind of, it could be feasible to to kind of take a step back and not be an elite level team. And, and so that was the year that kind of, I think, really, that's the, another part of that, the year, it's a year that really kind of derailed or got FSU to where they are right now. That's because... Um, of the fact that during 2015 Florida State had that fallback excuse that they were going through a rebuilding year and so when Kelly's defense put up its best year yet and kind of saved Florida State on a couple instances and looked really good that kind of I guess gave Jimbo the ammunition to go to the administration, and kind of beat back the 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 fire under Charles Kelly, and I and and give him an extension actually. So that was a year that was kind of again it's responsible for where Florida State is now, and and it gave Jimbo some ammunition to sign his friend Charles Kelly to an extension because they sold him you know. It was easier to sell Kelly to the administration than it was to well, than it would have been the year prior. But here's the thing, that defense was good but they weren't like Pruitt Stoops level elite. and you had a guy who I don't I think many of us underappreciated in Jalen Ramsey. Um, I, I think many of us underappreciated him and just how good he is. And now that he's in the NFL in his second year, and he looks like he's going to be a Pro Bowler this year, it, it, I think we all can kind of look back and realize how good Jalen Ramsey was. So there were some really, really good players on that team, and it and Kelly crafted them into a decent, uh, not a decent. They were a very good defense that year, but they were not elite. That is the that is the the line for me. Like top ten elite, I think they were. I want to say 20th in total defense or something like that. So, again, they were good, but they weren't elite. There was definitely room for improvement, and they weren't elite to the level that Stoops or Pruitt had been putting up at Florida State prior to Kelly's taking over. So that kind of grew in. And then last year. Again, last year is kind of, to me, when it really just got a little bit absurd that people weren't opening their eyes to what, was happening because you've got a team that's as talented as Florida State is and they get beat by Louisville 63 to 20. And a defense that talented looks like they shouldn't be even on the same field as Louisville. Now I realize that Lamar Jackson is a an elite player and he won the Heisman last year but still 63 to 20 and and it looked easy they could have put that team could have put up 80 plus there's no doubt in my mind it it was easy and florida state didn't even look like they they were prepared didn't look like it, they belonged on the same field didn't look like you know they even wanted to play and i think that that again is becoming reflective of the culture issue that florida state has which really is is probably more important. it is more important than the coaching issue, but there's issues at both spots. So you had that, and then you had the North Carolina game in Doak, where they gave up I what was it? They lost 37, 34, something like that. But North Carolina made again made it look so, so easy against that defense and and that was the game right after that where you had the whole promise or, or the the effort contract deal. And yeah, some of it's effort, but I mean, some of it's, it's some of it's coaching too. Because Florida State's had effort issues at certain positions. They've had it. They had it in twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, and twenty seventeen. And it's just the message isn't getting across to the players, whether they don't they don't believe in their coaches. They don't. It you know it, it's something, and, and that it's just been quite clear. That something needed to change. And these kind of all issues led to this year where Florida State's now 2-5 and five after they just lost to Boston College 35-3. Like, Florida State came in this year ranked number three in the country. And they're 2-5 and five coming off a loss to Boston College by 32 points. I understand that they've lost DeAndre Francois. And I understand that James Blackman... He's, he's a true freshman. That's, I mean, that's all you can say. He's got the arm talent, but he doesn't have the mental game right now. And he's being done a great disservice by being asked to play right now because he's losing confidence every snap. It's not, he, he, this is not the right situation for him. He was a developmental guy that needed that might have been your quarterback his redshirt sophomore or, or, or junior year. That, that that when that arm talent was finally backed up by some experience in the system, a little bit of confidence in the system, but instead this kid who's 6'5", 170 pounds is out there getting pummeled because Florida State's offensive line can't protect him on a on a super consistent basis. Now it's not all on them; he holds the ball too long sometimes, and and, and blocks are missed by running backs and and everybody else too. But ultimately, the offensive line hasn't you know been protecting him great um he's been responsible for it too so he's getting hit and and he's just losing confidence that's that's not to to drone on but he's losing confidence and and you might be ruining a player by playing him that could have been something for you down the road And, and honestly there's a couple things that you can get onto for that yeah i know that florida state had a couple quarterbacks dismissed malik henry probably should be the starter this year um he was he was recruited, he was a top 50 recruit at quarterback and and losing him because he couldn't keep his head on straight off the field is a, you know a big loss it, it's disappointing I to think this year could be a lot different if you had Malik Henry at quarterback but that being said you got a guy like JJ on your team that has been under you know who Jimbo handpicked when he recruited him because he signed Jim he signed JJ in the year that Deshaun Watson was being recruited to and Deshaun Watson was Jimbo's top target at quarterback but ultimately as we know he ended up going to Clemson and JJ was who they picked to be the the, the kind of the backup plan or or who they took Sans Deshaun Watson in that class and he's been here for what is it four years now and and a true freshman beats him out. This guy's been under Jimbo's star quarterback tutelage for four years now, and he's not—he's not even serviceable to where you can put him on the field. I mean, that's a problem on, on several levels. But it, it, it's a problem in that—I, you know, I'm not—I'm not, not going to be out here and be like Nick Saban, process everybody. But if you got a quarterback who's been on your roster for four seasons. And you can't even trust him to put him on the field? You need to process. That, that, that's a processable offense, not being able to put you on the field. I mean, that, that's just the bottom line. Uh, I don't know how else to phrase it. So there's an issue. And, and the last kind of line of, of conversation I'm going to embark on in this, this podcast is going to be just Jimbo. Solely focused on Jimbo. Florida State right now is in a really tough situation as it pertains to Jimbo with with this big contract he's got, um, eight years with options up to ten forty million dollars. You know this university can't really afford to to fire him. It's it's going to be a few years until they can fire him. Now, coaches really have a hard time turning things around at programs. Um, Brian Kelly's done it at Notre Dame. Um, Patterson did it at, at TCU. So there's been a couple like, bounce backs from having bad years. So I'm not going to say it's out of the realm of possibility that Jimbo turns it around. But I think Jimbo... I don't know. I We, we really have to watch this offseason. Because Jimbo, his fourth down decisions... His just lack of of ingenuity in terms of being with the times with running tempo, running a little bit more of not not going totally spread but just some more spread concepts, um. And and I realize that Florida State you know needs to run the ball w- with the the guys that they have at, at running back Cam Akers is going to be a huge part of this rebuild. But and I don't even know if you need a trend spread going forward. Necessarily, I just think that over the past few seasons, with the way that Florida State's offensive line has looked, it might have been a little bit easier if we, if Florida State kind of switched over and, and ran a few more spread-type quick throws, West Coast offense um, deals where they were getting the ball out of quarterback's hands quicker. But that's just a mute point. I, I think it just, to me, I just question Jimbo's ability to adapt. He doesn't seem like like he thinks about adapting or or likes to adapt it seems like when he does something like go for it on fourth down it's only because he has to and and the thing is is every time you see it you're like oh great if you don't get it now Jimbo's going to keep now Jimbo's going to use it to justify his missed opportunity or his his mistake with fourth down math so he he's going to it's just to the point where, where I don't think any Florida State fan who follows the program on a consistent basis just really believes that there's any kind of you know adaptation that that Jimbo's making to the current to the current situations and it's a program it's a problem that shows itself on so many levels even just this year like the Louisville game Jimbo tried to run his offense. And he's obviously handicapped with the amount of plays he can call. I like get they said on the Boston College program, like that they've been giving Blackman around forty five, fifty percent of, of Francois's playbook. So it's not that he's not handicapped, but he just it it was so simple. Louisville could not stop Florida State from running the ball early, and they hadn't stopped Boston College from running the ball the game prior, and yet Jimbo abandoned the run really early and, and didn't get Florida State in, in the position to where they were running the ball on a consistent basis against a defense who it's clearly possible against. And, and he put Blackman, his true freshman quarterback, in a tough situation. He put the, kind of the game on his shoulders, asking him to throw a bunch of passes, and, and it just didn't work. And, and last night, there was no flow to the offensive play calling. So I'm, there's just a, a lot of problems, I think, starting at the top. And you've got to see—is Jimbo gonna make these, you know, adaptations as a head coach? Is he going to start going for it on fourth down when that's the correct decision? Is he—is he going to just just do a little bit of adaptation on the offensive side of the ball, get some more up tempo? Not necessarily up tempo—you don't have to run a hundred plays a game, but dang, get it up to seventy-five or eighty as opposed to sixty. I mean. It's, it just makes it easier on everybody, and, and Jimbo, Jimbo's antiquated thought just doesn't allow for, for those kind of leaps and improvements in terms of becoming an offense that's better suited to equip, or better equipped to, to succeed in college today, and the thing is, is, I just don't know if I have any confidence in Jimbo Fisher to do this at this point in time. And as weird as it sounds, I think the argument I hang my hat on with this is is the fact that Tavares McFadden was continuing to return punts. Now, it it might seem like a little trivial topic, you know, especially amidst the season where you're 2-5. and But the fact that Jimbo continued to say, you know, he's the best punt returner we have. and, And it was clear that he was just not good at it. He was letting letting them bounce early in the season, and teams were getting 50 to 60 yards of field position a game just because he couldn't fair catch a punt. And then, over the last few games, he's been catching ones he shouldn't catch. I mean, you can debate all you want, but the one he caught inside the five against Boston College, I don't think you should catch that because you're already catching it at the five. There was good coverage. He was backpedaling as he caught it at about the five-yard line. I, I, for one, think you should let that go. You can argue that the, the put your heels on the 10 rule is antiquated, but I just don't think that, that backpedaling as you catch it on the 5-yard line, unless, you're, unless you want to argue for a fair catch, is something that you should do. I, I just think you should let that go. Uh, so uh, and, then, and then that, combined with the fact that you put DJ Matthews in, and he automatically looks like a natural back there, it, it just shows me that Jimbo is kind of out of touch with, with his own program. He doesn't know what he has. He, I think, he second guesses himself a lot, and he doesn't trust youth at all. Now, I realize that there's some situations where you can't trust youth, but, but to me, when you've got a guy that looks as, as bad as it, uh, as Tavares McFadden looked, you've got to give someone else a shot. And, and DJ Matthews did it in high school, and he's someone that that seemed that seemed equipped to do it in, in, in college, and. With the way the season was going, Jimbo should have had nothing to lose a couple weeks ago in terms of putting one kick returner back there. I mean, what, do you, what do you, he drops the ball one time, and then if that if that's the case, then he does. But at that point, you had you had nothing to lose. I mean, it, and it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't going to change anything to to me, and I just think that there was a there there's just a, a clear disconnect right now and kind of problem with Jimbo's thought process and and ultimately uh, I'll kind of do a parting shot I just think that the culture needs to change it's more than just a coaching issue at this point the the coaches don't even need to necessarily be evaluated on a coach-to-coach basis this offseason yes they do need to at some point but it also needs to be more of a We just need to change the culture. Let's get rid of as many coaches as we can and get rid of as many coaches as we can to where we think there's a possibility that we can upgrade at that position. And the fact of the matter is, I think they can do it just about at every single position on that coaching staff. I think Jimbo needs to make six plus or probably five plus coaching changes this offseason because like I said at this point, it's not just a band-aid you where you're fixing the coaching at a certain position there's a culture problem at Florida State and the only way to kind of change the culture at a program other than get rid of getting rid of a coach and and bringing in a new head coach is to really clean house with the assistance and I think it even needs to occur at the strength and conditioning level I think that there's there's a lot that, that just needs to be changed. And, and it's not even like you're doing a bad job necessarily. It's we need new culture. We need new voices. So we have to change a lot about this program. And I think this next round of coaches, I mean beyond the obvious of on-field play, is going to really define Jimbo Fisher's tenure at Florida State. Uh, because I think that the next group of coaches that Florida State needs to bring in Need to kind of bring need to be independent thinkers. They don't need to be just just you know kind of minions for Fisher who do exactly what he says at all points in times and don't challenge his antiquated thinking. There has to be a, a level of uncertainty that is impressed upon Fisher, a, a, a level of of kind of new ideas being brought to him, and, and being not just brought to him, but being kind of forced upon him and that these coaches believe in them that they stand by them and they will put pressure on their boss to even adapt them not necessarily you know seek out confrontation for him to adapt to them but but put pressure on them and stand by them and explain to him why that it's the right move and and I think that that and I think that whether or not those kind of coaches are brought in is really going to define Jimbo Fisher's tenure, whether or not he's able to get it back on track and ever compete for a national championship again at Florida State, or if he's kind of going to sink into mediocrity and, and dwell out there until Florida State you know, gets enough money to fire him and pay him not to coach the university's football team. So with that being said, we'll be back again releasing on Thursday with our regularly scheduled podcast this week. Um, We'll again talk a little bit more about the fallout and state of the program post-Boston College game, as well as getting into a little preview for the upcoming game that being said, I'm going to sign out. It was Ethan Vaughn bringing you another episode of Hear the Spirit presented by Noel Game Day. Um, You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, as well as SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and drop us a a five-star review if you like. We really appreciate it. They do a lot for us. Um, That being said, go Noles.